You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris, and today I'm joined with Mike Balzer, the Executive Director of Shoal. Hey, Mike, how you doing? Good. How about you? Doing awesome. I am down in New Zealand, and Mike is on the other side of the planet. Again, technology amazes <laughs> me in London, the UK, right? Exactly. Well, I'm not in London. I'm actually out in the countryside in, in uh, the West Country of UK. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, be- beautiful country. Uh, my partner's still there. Hopefully uh, I get her down here in New Zealand soon, but but just love the UK. Uh, Mike, real quick, can you just kind of talk about Shoal and what you and they do before we really jump into it? Sure. Well, Shoal was set up uh, just over a year ago and it's, it's essentially it's a, a response to the freshwater species crisis. So for, for many years, uh, freshwater species have been neglected, more or less the, the species that you find underneath the water, the ones above, the ones that like the birds and things like that have had quite a lot of conservation work. But once you go underneath the surface, there's a huge number of uh, threatened species. Uh, and it's basically a partnership and an initiative to really escalate and accelerate the action for freshwater fish, con- well, freshwater species, but primarily freshwater fish conservation. It it. it- Absolutely. We were so excited when uh, we were able to set this interview up because of, we're going to get into it, but this latest report that just came out, it it's an ecosystem that obviously your organization promotes, but it's one that we, we've looked at it before and talked about it, but not ha- have not focused on it as much as say the ocean. So it's going to be, this is a fascinating, fascinating topic and, and really excited to have you. Great. But one yeah. of the, yeah, but one of the first things I always like to ask is, you know, we, we have a lot of young listeners that want to get involved in conservation. Uh, they're in college or they want to go to college. So I always like to ask my guests, you know, can you just tell our listeners your background, you know, what education you got, and then how you got involved in animal conservation? Sure, sure. So uh, it's sort of been in my blood pretty much from when I, as far as I can remember, since sort of age of seven, you know, wildlife, nature. And it's always, and I, I, was, I was lucky enough when I was young to be surrounded by people that came from uh, countries all over the world, and they were telling the stories of the wildlife, and and so I had a very quick, fa- uh, quick and immediate fascination for nature, particularly in the tropics, and and uh, and, and, and places like Africa and the Amazon, 
uh, and Asia. And so uh, I, I just pretty much followed that path. And uh, I did a degree in environmental studies. In, in when I was young, there wasn't such thing as a conservation course. Uh, and yeah, it shows my age. Uh, and uh, and then I did a, I did a master's degree in conservation biology uh, quite a bit later. Uh, and I've essentially I started out in conservation by doing voluntary work, pretty much similar to many people for looking for those opportunities, just writing letters out of the blue to conservation projects uh, across the world. In those days, it wasn't email. It was literally putting it in the post and waiting for a response. Uh, and, and I started out in Indonesia doing bird surveys. And, and after that, I, felt, I tended to do a lot of um, field survey work, expeditions, uh, et cetera, where we were sort of doing an assessment of the biodiversity. And I did that in Uganda for quite a long time and then uh, also back to Indonesia uh, and then to Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos. Uh, and, and then I started working on camera trapping uh, and that got me uh, a, a consultancy with WWF. Uh, and then since then, I've been, I was working for WWF for pretty much 19 years and then left WWF to set up Shoal. Right. Oh, you, my, my podcasting partner, Angie, and I would, would say you're, li- you're, li- you're living the dream. I mean, to be able to. <laughs> okay. Well, I hope so, yeah. <laughs> travel the world. Yeah. This is, you know, like our listeners are just are just wildlife enthusiasts. So they, they that's their dream, too, to go out yeah. and, and to help conserve these animals. So, yeah, I, again, I fully understand what it's like to try and get into conservation. You know, it's really tough. So, you know, I'm really happy to receive any emails from anybody that wants to, any any advice or any sort of links to people that I know that might need work. I can't offer any jobs, uh, but I certainly would love to help people because I know how tough it is. And, and uh, yeah, but good luck to everyone that really wants to get into it. Oh, that's awesome. And yeah, we'll definitely put all the links in the show notes and at the end where, where they yeah. can get in contact with Shoal. It, yeah, it's 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 starting off volunteering, doing uh, what you did. But yeah, that's awesome. So can you just briefly, because we really want to focus on freshwater species, but sure. your background with WWF is fascinating. Can you just talk a little bit about your position there and, and, and what you did for those many yeah, years? Uh, yeah, so like I say, first, my first uh, job with WWF was doing a consultancy to set up camera traps to to get pictures of the Javan rhino in Vietnam. So, so that they knew they were there, but no one had ever seen them or had any photographs of them. So we 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 were successful in that, but unfortunately, a few years later, uh, the, the last population was wiped out in Vietnam. Uh, and then after that, I worked on various things. But then I um, got offered a position with WWF to pretty much help them with their developing their conservation strategy for the Mekong region, uh, which then turned into being conservation director for for that region and then i moved to um to to vienna in austria and ran there uh what that was called then the danube carpathian program but essentially that's eastern and central europe program uh, and basically uh my career in wwf was was running sort of very large-scale ambitious complex programs uh and then once i after that i i uh Got offered the position of running the Tiger program, which is obviously one of the flagship programs, uh, and uh, and I did that for nine years before I left. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, one of our our fascinating interviews was was Sonarto down there in Indonesia, the Tiger program. Oh, great! Yeah, uh, yeah, super, he was yeah. amazing. Yeah, he's super. Yeah, Sonarto is fantastic. 
Yeah, it's one of Angie's yeah. all-time favorites. So we always <laughs> yeah. his our favorite quote, and we repeat it often, is when you save the tiger, you save the world. And when you start thinking about it, you know, saving each species, each animal, yeah, you really yeah. are. So, so you're you're working for WWF nineteen years. I mean, that, that's a career. Yeah. What made you leave and help found Shoal? Yeah, well, partly was because it was a career. But um, pretty, pretty, pretty much when I first started um, with WWF, the idea of Shoal sort of became, because when, when we, like I mentioned, my first job was doing biodiversity assessment. We were basically compiling all the biodiversity information for the Mekong, lower Mekong region, and we were trying to identify the areas that were really critical for conservation intervention. And so we were doing the normal things, birds, uh, plants, mammals, uh, and, but we also included freshwater and freshwater fishes. And, and it became really clear that basically, the, although the knowledge on mammals and birds and uh, butterflies and plants in that region was also quite poor, fish was on a different scale in, of poorness. You know, it was you know there was really very little information. People were just going into areas, discovering new species. You know, on every on every trip, uh, and and it became pretty clear. And also at the same time, it became pretty clear that trying to match sort of terrestrial conservation with freshwater conservation was always going to be a problem too, because we're using different units and overlaying them is quite is quite tough. So it was most although I'd worked on wetlands and and uh, rivers before, it was the first experience of sort of understanding the depth of the freshwater world uh, uh, and particularly in, in terms of fish and how you you set up conservation priorities and programs for fish. So it was, that was the beginning of it. And then it became pretty clear even f- further on and, and just continued to dawn on me that this is an area that really needs uh, some work. And it was through the Tiger program where we realized that basically you can really, you can really get support and uh, interest from a wide group of people that for instance, for tigers, with people that have cats at home, for instance, have a relationship with tigers in the wild, and we realised that you know there was this enormous potential within fresh water. That you know you've got the the, the anglers and the accurists and and uh, fisheries and all these these uh, people that were interested in freshwater fish, but have never been engaged in conservation properly, uh, and the two worlds were sort of apart. So. The idea was basically okay. It's t- you know it's time for me. In fact, basically, someone just said to me, "Shut up about it, Mike, and get on with it." <laughs> and uh, so, so I decided, yeah, let's let's see if we can make this happen. And we had a, we held a meeting uh, with different organisations, WWF, Global Wildlife Conservation, Synchronicity Earth, uh, many other organisations, and people from the aquarium world. And we sat down and said, okay, how do we how do we make this happen? Uh, and then, we, and that's where we started brainstorming Shoal. It wasn't called Shoal, obviously. Then we, we started brainstorming it there, uh, and and Synchronicity Earth in the UK offered to host us, and and that was it. So then I said, okay, let let me let me take it on, uh, and let's let's make this happen. That's amazing. I mean, it's it's just oh, it, people like like yourself and the people you work with, they they're an inspiration um, to, to not only us, but I know the thousands that, that we reach, but it's just, it, it, it's heartening to know that there's, there are people motivated out there found doing, you know, like starting the Shoal Foundation, fighting for these ecosystems. And I, I guess my question, and I, you know, we're going to definitely get into the weeds more of this, 
Sure. But why do we need to focus more on these freshwater ecosystems? Yeah, uh, uh, essentially, I mean, these freshwater ecosystems are vital for, for many different reasons. They're vital to the whole balance of nature. They're vital to the, to people. There are hundreds of millions of people depend on fresh water across the world. Uh, millions of people are, uh, are dependent on on uh, fish for their for their you know for their daily protein. Uh, and, uh, and and it, and many other businesses and communities are, are completely connected uh, to the, the health of, of fresh water, freshwater ecosystems. And and at the same time, there's a, an enormous biodiversity of, uh, of or, sorry diversity of of, of fish species and, and aquatic species uh, that are, are really threatened as well. So. It's not only the, the reasons that they're important for us and important for, in terms of healthy ecosystems, but there's many num- many species that are on the verge of extinction. And without immediate action, we're going to see more and more extinctions every year. I, I, it's eye-opening, and, and we're going to get into some of the stats here in a second, you know, with this latest report. Would you say, you know, especially in your career, the last two decades, that definitely freshwater ecosystems have received a lot less focus in conservation, say, versus because there's been such a huge focus on the ocean uh, the last few years. You know, obviously the rainforest deforestation is a big, big hot topic. It, has freshwater ecosystems just been kind of forgotten? It hasn't been forgotten. I mean, there are, I mean, most conservation organizations, even, you know, from the local to the global, have been working on freshwater conservation. Uh, and, but, but it's certainly not the, the you know the the number one topic in those organisations necessarily, and it's always struggled to some extent to get the attention. And it hasn't had you know what we call about the we have the Jack Jack Cousteau moment, you know, like the marine environment it hasn't had that opportunity yet for to, for people to really uh, engage with it and really be enlightened and inspired by the beauty of it. And and that's partly uh, because uh, it's difficult to see. The biodiversity you know everyone can pick up a pair of binoculars and walk down the road and and, and look at birds uh, you know and we're, we're really familiar with sort of ma- you know mammals and and thanks to the you know wonderful documentaries we're seeing you know the marine environment but there really hasn't had that opportunity there hasn't been that opportunity so much for fresh water uh, and and therefore yeah it's it's def- i mean there'll be other areas in conservation well, people will be crying out, "Oh, but well, nobody's talking about us too." But, but I would say that fresh water is certainly, uh, yeah, that hasn't had its moment yet. Right? Like yeah. yeah. No, it, it it's just you know a few weeks ago we really started to dig into it, you know, and and definitely we're going to focus more on freshwater species and and that ecosystem because you know it hasn't been in the press, you know, you google some stuff until lately like this past couple of weeks which is great that it's it's been highlighted by major news organizations around the world. Absolutely, yeah. But it, it's I mean I'm sitting there thinking I remember because we talk a lot about plastics in the oceans. And I remember watching this video is from Central America during a big rainstorm, and it was a a river of trash just flowing so fast. And I was thinking, oh wow, the poor ocean where all that trash goes out into, <laughs> yeah. But not without even thinking that. What about all the species that live in that river? <laughs> yeah. You know, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I'm I'm just so excited. I'm just so excited to to finally focus on this. So I guess my question is. 
why do we need to focus on it now, especially with this report that just came out? What, why is this critical today in 2021? Oh, well, I mean, it was critical decades ago. It's just that, you know, there's so many different priorities and there's so many different areas that we, we need to focus on in conservation. Um, but it's important now because uh, more and more the situation is that fresh water is you know, absolutely critical to the, to the survival of, of people on the earth. Uh, and, and the more we're degrading it and the more we, we uh, clear out wetlands and pollute the rivers and... and uh, and, and ruin this sort of su- the supply of. I mean, there's, the, the amazing thing about fresh water and saying that you know we haven't had that connection. Actually, it's the one habitat that everybody, almost everybody in the world, is connected to in some ways. Every, everybody has a river nearby, or a stream nearby, or a lake nearby. Uh, you know, they've got fresh water coming in, 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 in into their homes. Whereas you know, it's not so much the same case for terrestrial. You know, there's no terrestrial habitat that we all share across the world. There's no uh, marine habitat, for instance. So, you know, it's absolutely essential to humans. And at the same time, uh, the freshwater species are really facing a a massive crisis. And one third of all freshwater fishes are are, are on the verge of extinction and and threatened. So, so, and and we're seeing, you know, extinctions at extinction going on every year from from fresh the fresh world world at a rate that we're not seeing for the other uh uh, uh biomes mm-hmm. no yeah uh, right and i guess my next question was like how many total freshwater fish species are there and, and how many have gone extinct i mean that was eye-opening reading that in that report yeah absolutely so uh, the, the the tally of global freshwater fish species at the moment is just over 18,000 uh, 18, species globally. But we're, you know, we're discovering species every year. Just in South America last year alone, oh, just over 100 new species were discovered. Uh, and, and so this number is definitely an underestimate. Um, but at the moment, that's what we know, but roughly around 18,000. And something like 80... Uh, 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 fish have gone extinct recently. There's probably much more than that we that we than we that we are aware of, and, and only this year there were 16 species of fish that have, that have been declared officially declared extinct. And so, and, uh, and to be declared extinct is really you have to get to the point where you're saying there's absolutely no chance ever that we're ever going to find this fish again. And there's hundreds of fish species that we haven't seen for decades. Uh, and you know whether they're extinct or not, we don't know. So, but so to have sixteen in one year is pretty uh, disheartening, and you know, and and it represents the crisis that we're we're facing. Yeah, it's devastating. I mean, that's absolutely devastating. It, you know, I go back to the the natural extinction rates: one to two species globally go extinct across, I think, all taxa. Right? I, I, you know, looking at extinction rates, and here we just have freshwater fish. 16 in one year is insane. Oh my goodness. What's the current IUCN data? And I preface that with, we do bring up IUCN. We, we love the work that they do. Again, underfunded, very difficult to do this work. So the data is probably dated, but what do we know of like how many critically endangered or endangered fish there are out there? Well, there's, there's roughly about 6,000 on the IOCN list, so they've they've only 
um, categorized uh, and assessed 10,000 uh, 10, of the species. So there's still, well, a little bit more than that. So, so that, but, but we're nowhere near the, the, the 18,000. And of the ones that they've done so far, 6,000 uh, are recognized to be threatened. So that's a third of the known fish species. Uh, and and you know, 60% of those species that have been asset, uh, assessed, mm -hmm. although there's a few bit, bit, bit more than the 10,000. So it's roughly around 60%. Yes. And yeah, so it's, it's a huge proportion of the fishes. Yeah, it's just... Uh, it's just... Right, right, but that's why you're out there fighting. So exactly, exactly. <laughs> we, try yeah. to, we, yep. we try to stay. We try to stay positive. But if current trends continue, what's the long term outlook on these ecosystems? Well, it's just going to. Uh, I mean, the, the the ecosystems are getting um, wiped out. You know, the freshwater vertebrates have declined by eighty six percent since the nineteen seventies, according to the WWF Living Planet report, and uh, the habit. You know, the wetland habitats. Uh, are really deteriorating and really and and uh, are very often one of the first habitats to go because they're quite often associated with humans that they you know we can clear them and and use them for other purposes uh, and, and the more we do that the more we the uh, more that we disrupt those freshwater systems uh, and pollute the water that were uh, that we were, is vital for those healthy systems and the food that we get from the rivers and the water that we drink in our taps that the, you know, the, the more that the system is going to be breaking down, and so, so that's why it's really important for uh, you know organisations to focus on freshwater conservation, uh, and then from my point of view, for, you know, the freshwater species conservation. Mm -hmm. Is there is there any specific fish species that you're currently working with with Shoal that you just can, can highlight and talk about the plight of them, like what they're facing, and and sure. uh, I guess what their outlook is for them? Yeah, let me think of an example. Yeah, well, a good one, uh, a relatively easy one, not a species, but a, a, a genus, uh, is the paraphemenus. So they're in English, they're called licorice gouramis, and they're quite common in um, aquariums. People keep them, they keep the fish. And they're these tiny little fish uh, that are absolutely stunningly beautiful. So, you know, I, I would... Uh, you know, really recommend to your listeners to go and Google Parasphemenus, if I can say it properly, uh, and uh, and have a look at them because they're stunning, really stunning. Uh, and they're found in peat swamp forest, and that's forest that is constantly uh, um, flooded in the tropics. So it's a rainforest that's constantly flooded, essentially. Uh, and this peat layer is, has a special community of fishes, a whole bunch of fishes that live in, in these peat swamps. But paraphemenus really, really represents it well because they're stunningly beautiful. They're very, very tiny. They live sometimes, you know, you can lift a leaf up and they're just underneath there. Uh, and, and and until recently, we only knew about one or two species existing. Uh, but fortunately, because of uh, actually the interest by the uh, the the hobbyists, the aquarium hobbyists, uh, that you know they've been looking into these fishes, and more and more we're discovering more and more of these species that exist. Uh, but every time we discover a new one, we realise it's actually completely on the verge of extinction because they live in these peat swamp forests. And as probably your listeners are pretty well well aware of, that it's the peat swamps that are that are burning uh, in Malaysia and Indonesia, uh, and and the and uh, the 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 fire, the forest fires that you hear from the, that from that area of Indonesia and Malaysia, 
you know, it's the it's quite often the peat swamp forest is being set satellite to be cleared for for things like oil palm, for instance, or or other or other crops. So so they're facing this huge dilemma of being li living in this habitat that's highly threatened, uh, and and uh, the fishes are tiny, beautiful, and and now becoming really quite rare. Uh, and so yeah, so they're they're one of our high priorities because there's so many of them are critically endangered. And so many of them, you know, are now found in just tiny patches of forest. Uh, you know, a whole species is just confined to a small patch of forest behind a shopping mall in a in a sea of oil palm. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, it's just palm oil. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's, it's just one of the things. He everybody's got to do their part across the across the globe. You know, if we're going to reverse these trends, especially with that. It, my 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 next question was. You know, not just talking about the fishes, but are there, or do you have any examples of other species that, or taxa that are impacted by by these failing freshwater ecosystems? Yeah, another another um, one of the major driver threats to freshwater fishes are invasive fishes uh, or invasive species. So, quite often, fish. Um, Fish have been, for some reason or another, have been put into the into the ecosystem, and quite often, basically because they're they're good for um, a good sized fish for eating, and it's you know it's, 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 it's legitimate, legitimate sort of reasons for um, increasing the fisheries. But then they become invasive and they become predatory on on the local fishes. And one fish that we uh, are working on in India. Uh, supporting a project called Pro uh, Project Marcia and on a on a on a fish called the humpback marcia. So the humpback marcia uh, is this enormous, uh, enormous, beautiful fish that are highly prized by anglers. And until recently, uh, the anglers didn't realise that they were uh, they were basically catching this fish what they caught, what they thought was a golden marcia or a type of marcia. Uh, and it was only when they started looking at some of their angling records they realised. Oh wow! This actually is a separate species, uh, and it, and so the scientists that from the Marcia Trust and Bournemouth University and other people in in India uh, discovered that this species, uh, you know, was was actually an individual species, uh, and and then realised it was now cornered in one tributary or one small area of one river uh, by by these invasive uh, what what we believe to be invasive. Uh, Another invasive marcia, in fact. So, so we're working with, uh, we're supporting them to do their work into researching and understanding both the humpback marcia, this incredibly beautiful fish, another fish to Google when you finish this thing, uh, and and then also investigating this the other fish, the, the fish that possibly could be uh, the, the, the cause of the problem for this for this other fish. So it's a long story. Yeah, it's worth looking up and reading about it. No, it is. I mean, it, you know, being here in New Zealand, obviously, you know, invasive mammals and and other species, you know, have have devastated native wildlife. I go back to uh, rainbow trout and brown trout being introduced in Southern California. We had a fascinating interview with uh, Ian Ricciccio from the LA Zoo, uh, doing you know, yeah. the, the impact on on amphibians. You know, they have driven many amphibians to extinction because they're True, invasive yeah. and they get in those river systems and just devastate native populations. So yeah, 
multiple, I guess that's a great, that's a great segue into what are all the pressures on our freshwater ecosystem? Um, yeah, there's quite numerous pressures on, on the system. So, um, so, so 11,000 uh, species of fish are considered to be migratory fish. And many of these fishes will have to swim, uh, will swim hundreds of kilometers up rivers. Uh, and they might have to swim 100 kilometers up river to breed. And so, so structures in the river that stop that, that, um, that connectivity and the, and the opportunity to swim freely up and down the rivers, such as dams, is one of the biggest problems facing freshwater species. So once you put a dam in place and you disrupt that whole sort of uh, breeding process, uh, and, then, and then the population starts to plummet. Uh, and so dams are, are one of the things. Uh, um, generally sort of infrastructure development on rivers, um, invasive species, as we mentioned, you know, putting fishes uh, into places where they shouldn't be. Um, pollution is, is a big issue, obviously, in, in, in many places. That's pollution coming from uh, sand, uh, sand mining is a particular problem. So, you know, where they're, they're mining the sand from the riverbanks to use for, for, for building materials. That's having a huge problem for because many of the fishers are breeding in in uh, and, and are breeding in the sides of rivers where they're taking the sand out, uh, and yeah, I, I would say that that's the so it's all about connectivity and pollution uh, and habitat destruction. So and habitat destruction like the paraphernalia where they're literally just destroying the entire habitat where the fishes are are found. And, and often many of the fishes are just found in very small systems. So, you know, so it's quite easy to uh, disrupt the entire system by removing that system or, or polluting that system. Or, and also, you, you know, the issue of got inputs coming from upstream all the time too. So things could be happening hundreds of kilometers away that is impacting the fish further downstream. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. Right, right. Yeah, no, I... Uh, it's just a documentary I watched a couple of years ago, uh, gold mining in South America and in the back yeah. country, them using, because they use mercury to help sort the gold. And I remember them just dumping mercury into these river systems. And it's just like your yeah. jaw hits the ground. How That is such massive pollution. It's just not for human health, but the wildlife. Yeah. One there, of the pro we were just talking about it today because I'm working on another project on river dolphins. Uh, and the river dolphins and the Amazon are really suffering from that mercury from gold mining. But gold mining yeah. is also quite, you know, quite often the case quite in different places across the globe. Actually, it is, it is, yeah. and, and it, it is devastating. It, 
so are there any re, you know specific global hotspots river ecosystems are, are just in great peril or is this a yeah and that, that's a really good question and and, uh, and until recently there really hasn't been sort of the same level of analysis of of, of hotspots uh, for instance that's what i was talking about earlier when we were when i was talking about the mekong we, that's what we were trying to identify sort of hotspots within the mekong uh and uh and then there's this uh, key biodiversity areas i don't know if you uh, uh, talked about that before on your show but key biodiversity areas are those areas where they've defined uh for different under different criteria that there's an area really well key for biodiversity uh and they're, they're just doing that process has been going on for a while but the freshwater systems are also being done and so so the biggest beginning that process of really identifying uh where those key biodiversity areas are and one of the things that we're doing with shoal a is to is to support that work but also trying to find those areas that are, are really critical uh for for fish conservation and and the recent analysis we did was where the where are the mo- where are the highest concentrations of critically endangered species for instance so uh and places like the um rift valley lakes in africa come out extraordinarily high there's already extraordinarily high diversity so if you're looking you know if you're looking at hotspots in terms of where the, you know there's a lot of species uh rift valley lakes is one of those obviously the amazon uh, uh, and the mekong systems are hugely are hugely diverse uh and another another area that's that's come up in our analysis is mexico hugely diverse in fish uh but at the same time a whole set of species are really highly threatened so uh, that's one of our priority focus areas as well. Uh, Southeast Asia uh, is is a is is a really so again it's it's sort of the same patterns uh, for, for other species that essentially it's the, the the tropical areas where you're seeing the diversity uh, and um, but also the places where the, you know you've got high numbers of threatened species too. It, so this is a tricky question. It, it it's you know, the political will in not only developed nations, you know, like, like say the UK or the United States or where this is an issue, is there political will there to take action, to protect these systems or even in underdeveloped nations, because that's where a lot of this biodiversity is. And, you know, we don't want to, we're very careful, like the savior complex. Oh, we're going to come in and save you. You know, it's conservation is local. We always push that. So I guess my just a broad question, and maybe you can tackle it since you've been all over the world. Is there political will in these countries to to reverse some of these trends? Yeah, I, I, the first point is that remember that the fact that the reason why these species are there is because those countries have been looking after these. So, you know, I live in the UK and it's pretty depauperate of species and we lost most of our mammals, you know, a long time ago. So, you know, so we've lost them. Uh, and some of the countries that we're talking about, Mexico and uh, Indonesia and Malaysia, they still got, you know, still got their species. Uh, and but the, but the pressure of development of clear is clear, and and the gradual sort of ex- expansion of agriculture, the urbanisation uh, in these areas, you know, other isn't sort of number one threat to uh, to fishes, but pretty much all the other biodiversities too. Uh, and um, so so. And, and, and as we've already discussed, that sort of freshwater biodiversity. I think freshwater has become more and more of a priority, particularly in in developing countries, because you know, they recognise the importance of 
fresh water to the you know, to people that need the fresh water. And so there's every effort's been put into you know, making the rivers less polluted, making you know, good supplies of water. But um, you know, the, but the but the sort of breakdown of the habitat, the habitats, the forest habitats, you know, rivers reply, uh, rely on good forest habitat too, and uh, th these things are breaking down. So I think that the and it's very difficult to generalise, but I, th I would say uh, there is a willingness if we can find the solutions. And so it's always that balance, you know. If we can find the solutions, and that's, you know, that's what's, you know, that's one of the things that that actually motivates me in conservation is always to try and find the solutions. There's got to be a way that we can balance, you know, the development needs, the needs of people, with the with with the biodiversity. And and there's a, quite often there is a way if the, if there is a will, uh, and there is a will usually if you can come up with those solutions. But it's it's not always easy, is there? Because there's plenty of different uh, interests. Uh, and you know we're, we're talking uh, like I said we're talking about dolphins today and you know everybody cares about dolphins river dolphins but you know where, where the river dolphins are, are swimming around you know there's pressure from different many different sort of sources you know people are using those rivers for fisheries they're using them for sand mining they're using them for water irrigation they're using them for river transport you know, there's all sort uh, and of course fisheries. Uh, and, and so, that, you know, just all those conflicting interests are quite difficult to balance. And usually, uh, quite often, it's the species that, that lose the, that lose the fight. So, it's, yeah, we need to find those solutions. Right. Like you just, you, you know, you look at the Amazon and the, the, the massive deforestation that's going on. You know, many are predicting that it's almost at the tipping point where we may lose it completely in the next 10 years if we don't reverse some of this. So are the, you know, especially Brazil, is there the political will in Brazil to protect river ecosystems or is it just, and I know that's dicey for <laughs> conservation organizations. I don't want to get you in hot water, but it, it, it just seems like, you know, my experience in the United States depends on the administration that's in charge at the time. So, you know, uh, with, with the last one out, this new one coming in is going to put more focus on conservation. So in four years or eight years, if this administration's voted out, do we, you know, it's back and forth. So I guess oh, that's another interesting question, how you would navigate that as a conservation organization. But I guess if you just go back, sorry, just to wrap, you know, get a question out of this, you know, is, do you have, I guess just, do you have to be very careful with working with these governments because, you know, the winds do change quickly? Yeah. I mean, I, I can't talk about Brazil because it's, you know, it's one area that I really don't know. It sounds like a politician's answer, but I don't know about Brazil enough to talk about it. But um, you know, in in the countries that I have worked in, you know, it's really, yeah, it it does it does uh, depend some somewhat on the administration and the attitude of the government at the time. In terms, you know, it does shift and change. Uh, um, but I, I think that the the way to get around it has always been sort of being consistent in terms of the messaging and and and. And being aware always that, the, that there's going to be some level of compromise, probably, uh, uh, and finding those solutions, you know, they're always going to be open to, to, to solutions if you can find them. Uh, it's just when you when you get to the situation where you're really coming up against something where there's a lot of political will against what you're doing for for reasons like gold mining, for instance, it's, it's really hard for governments to say no to gold mining. I don't know. I've not, I've not seen any examples anywhere where gold mines have 
have ever finally been just stopped. You know, they usually found a way to get through. And so, yeah, so it, do, it does vary. And some countries, you know, have got much stronger support for the for the environment traditionally than others. You know, Bhutan is, is the prime example of a country where, where you know, really strong support for the forest and fresh water and, and, and fish conservation as well. Uh, and you've got other some other countries where it's you know much harder to, to work and and it's difficult. And you and but the pressures on some of these countries. You imagine Indonesia, where you've got so much wonderful biodiversity, and and you know the government. You know, so one day someone's coming in your office and say, you know, you need to protect orangutans, and the next day someone's saying Komodo dragons, and the next day someone's coming on a whole bunch of bloody fish. Yeah. So <laughs> so you know so it's it's you know, it's really tough for those uh, governments. Uh, to, to balance these things, um, but yeah, it's, it's uh, that's part of the you know conservation is a lot about politics and than than uh, understanding the breeding cycle of a certain fish. Right, yeah. right. That's uh, you know that's why we always go back. It's local. It, it's getting the locals engaged because yeah, it's true. You know, Absolutely, yeah, yeah. From you know thousands of miles away, we can't say, oh, you need to protect orangutans. They're like, okay, well, we need to feed our people. You know, what are we going to do? So yeah. it's very, very difficult and it's very complex. So I, I guess, you know, to, to turn this on its head, you know, the gloom and doom, but what are the solutions being implemented? You know, with this, this WWF report, uh, they suggest some solutions. So what are some of the solutions that you're doing with Shoal and some ones that hopefully will be implemented in the future? Yeah, so the, the, the WWF report was it's a report by sixteen different organisations, uh, and those sixteen and those sixteen plus many others have been involved with, with identifying this emergency recovery plan, uh, which is outlined in the report. And basically, it's, it's pretty much taking a, a sort of systems approach to it, saying you know if we can if we can focus on these six pillars, which is you know the things I mentioned earlier, which is you know, natural flow of rivers. Reducing pollution, protect the habitat, stop the overfishing and sand mining, control invasive species or stop invasive species, and keep that connectivity. Those are the things that they're saying. If we can do all those things in as many places as possible, then we can really t- t- turn the tide for for uh, f- for freshwater systems. So it's taking a really fresh, uh, really strong freshwater system approach, uh, and uh, and 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 that's really the. One of the first times, the sort of a coordinated message going out, saying that you know this is what we need to do, and we can really, you know, in the terms that we're using, is bend the curve, uh, and saying you know we, we can stop that decline and turn it around so that so that freshwater systems can really recover. And we've seen it all over the world, you know, places where you know the, where, where river systems have been uh, managed well and they've recovered. You know, we've seen it in the UK, which was hugely polluted rivers uh you know and 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 you know over time they they've recovered so we so that's the approach that pretty much all the organizations are doing um but one of the things that's missing from that plan and not uh and not necessarily on purpose it's basically because that's a system approach one of the things that uh missing is that the sort of real direct level species approach saying okay there's a fish there that needs our help how do we how do we uh, focus on that? So sometimes, you know, when you work at the system level, some things fall through the mesh and are not getting protected because the policy is not absolutely perfect. So this is where Shoal comes in and says, okay, 
we're, we're really focusing on is the, those species uh, and we're, we're really targeted at the most threatened species and, and ensuring that they don't go extinct um, and, and already that's big enough task before we really get into other stuff so so shoals tends to will tend to focus at the species level uh, we, we focused uh, working with local partners uh, local uh, very often local community level uh, and but quite often we're working in a system where other larger uh, um, more policy orientated uh, programs are working as, as well so so that they might be dealing with the issue of dams and connectivity or water extraction or water footprint issues where but they, what they really need is people going in and working on this at the species level and the, and the habitat level uh, and that's what Shoal was put in place to do. Right, it's a great segue. I, I guess I wanted to jump more into Shoal and, and can you just talk about like what your overriding mission is? You know, sure, yeah. So the, the um, well, our mission is very simple: it is to stop freshwater species extinctions, uh, and and that's why we're coming from that angle in the sense of that you know we we want we want to find the solutions to those species that are really on the edge, uh, and, and as many as possible. So you know, that's why we're looking for the places where you know we where, where we can really invest, so that we're really taking on as many species as possible. Yeah. Do you do you have any specific projects? I know you mentioned a couple others, but uh, you know briefly that you're actively involved in today. I know you were talking about river dolphins today. What are some of the other ones around the globe that that your organization is is directly involved with? Yeah. So, so well, like, like I said, we've only been going just over a year and. Uh, so we're beginning to. So the first stage was was to find some projects where we know there's immediate support. So again, the peat swamp forests uh, in Malaysia, Indonesia, that's something that uh, has been. Uh, I mean, there's been quite a lot of tension in terms of peat swamps because of the carbon capacity, uh, and but you know, nobody's thought about the fishes. So we just what we've been doing there is just bringing together uh, fish conservation scientists and saying, okay, what do we do first? How do we tackle this? Where do we where do we move? So developing action plans for fishes and and then then helping support uh, the funding, the capacity to partners on the ground to to do that work. So it's, again, like, you know, it's always about finding the right partners on the ground to do the work. So shoal, we don't anticipate in the near future that we're going to be having shoal staff on the ground doing projects. It's always going to be working in partners and facilitating support. And that's one of the big challenges we face actually is that. There simply aren't the organisations out there uh, to 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 do the work in very many cases. So we're either have you know have help trying to find sort of creative ways to bring people together to make the work happen. Uh, and over time, hopefully, we're building capacity and creating new organisations that are focusing on the fish. Uh, so we, yeah, so we're working on peat swamps. Uh, we, we're supporting that project I mentioned uh, in in India on the project Marsir, and the intention there is to, is to to work on all Marsir. Marsir are found pretty much all across Asia. Uh, we're helping trying to help support projects in Madagascar. There's a, a Chester Zoo project there and a Bristol Zoo project there, working on endemic fishes, threatened endemic fishes in Madagascar. Uh, at the moment, we're uh, in conversations about a project in Tanzania, a really exciting project in Tanzania, uh, but that's only under it's only sort of in, in, being developed at the moment, uh, and also in, in in the US and North America and 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 South America, we've we deliberately uh, have delayed that till 
uh, till recently, and it's only only this year that we set up capacity in the US. So, and, and like I say, I mentioned that Mexico is somewhere where we're looking at a project now. So we're beginning to build up uh, different field support projects, taking on a number of critically endangered species, as many species as, poss- as possible. It's amazing work, and you said you've only been around over a year. Here's here's just a kind of coming out of left field. How has COVID this past year affected your work? Like, wow, you're getting all that done during a global pandemic. So, I guess, it, yeah, my question is how <laughs> how challenging? Yeah, yeah. So uh, essentially, uh, the the field work. The, uh, oh, we have another project I forgot to mention, which is actually the most important. The project we work in Sulawesi in Indonesia on, there's a bunch of ancient lakes in Sulawesi. Uh, and they have, there's really, they're like the sort of Galapagos, Darwin's Galapagos to Wallace's uh, work in, on evolution in Indonesia. Uh, and each of those lakes have these different species. And we're, and we're focusing there in terms of, supporting at the moment one of the lakes uh, and that and essentially the work stopped so so actually i was out there in a meeting in in february uh and the work was closed down in february so but the team that was working there turned around and basically became uh the supporters for the villages in terms of the the, the fight against covid there so they were you know, ha- providing hand sanitation and you know Putting up barriers to, to, to clean cars and people uh, giving awareness leaflets to people as they go into the villages, these remote villages. So that's yeah. So they stopped, but they basically turned around and unfortunately, unfortunately, they, they we gave, began to work again in October. So that project started. Uh, the project in India too that was basically stopped because of the, the lockdown in India. So all the field-based projects essentially stopped. Uh, and all the support from the zoos and aquariums basically stopped because they were suffering. They suffered so terribly uh, because of the lack of people going to the zoos and aquariums. So, so that side of things stopped. But it's given us a chance to start, you know, really thinking about the partnerships and building up the strategies. And like I say, one of the key parts of our work is is building that partnership with uh, the, the anglers and and uh, the aquarium hobbyists. So it's given us a chance to really talk to them too this year uh, and to find ways that we can really get them involved so it's really critical to show that that, that we we expand the the engagement of those people that already have a love and a concern for rivers and fishes and lakes so uh, and bringing them on board so we're talking to different companies for instance about how they can help support uh, so if there's anybody listening who's an angler or a hobbyist you know that, that is really, we really want to hear from from you and we hope that you can encourage your communities to uh, support Joel too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I grew up fishing uh, in Northern California and Oregon with my dad and wow. you know, just, yeah, love uh, the mountains and the rivers and just being out in nature. And, and I know in my experience in the UK last year, you know, there, there's so many fishermen everywhere, every weekend, yeah. they were out there in the morning, you know, fishing, even during the pandemic, you know, they, cause you could get, yeah, out, absolutely. Get some exercise. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, and so. those uh, and those uh, hobbies have done pretty well during COVID. So although when you know when it was severe lockdown, they couldn't go out. But after that, mm-hmm. you know, they really uh, there's been a sort of resurgence of angling in the UK, for instance. Yeah. And also, the, you know, the, the aquarium hobbyists, you know, it's something you can do at home. 
So uh, <laughs> anything to stay sane, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> well, just a few more questions. I know it's late there in the UK. It, it, this one, I, I really start to like to ask my guests. And from your point of view, what's the greatest threat to biodiversity across the planet? <laughs> a small question. Yeah, um, I know. I know. <laughs> well, it's quite clearly climate change. You know that that's uh, from from every corner of the world. That's going to be affecting biodiversity. So, so I would say that that the most immediate problem is climate change, uh, and and it's going to impact pretty much every ecosystem. So, you know, I used to work on tigers, and one of the things that we always say about tigers is that they're not going to be necessarily directly impacted by climate change because um, because they're fairly plastic. They can sort of live wherever there's food. But the, but the habitats and their prey will definitely change and definitely suffer because of climate change. So it's going to have an impact pretty much everywhere. And... And there's, you know, there's projects going on to, to to deal with the adaptation necessary that is necessary, uh, and also the, you know the fight against climate change itself. So I, w- I would say, yeah, that's the number one, the number one threat. And the, and the, and the second one, because that's such a huge thing. The second mm-hmm. one is, you know, just this, you know, the unplanned expansion, uh, you know, of you know human development across the globe. You know, more and more people are going to need more and more space unless we find those solutions. And, and 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 there's been so much work on that too. So there's it's not so uh, scary or doom gloom uh, doom laden as well. So you know that's something we can find solutions to. And and the one thing I will also mention is just negligence because that's uh, uh, the issue we face with fresh water, right? So the fact that people you know we, there just wasn't enough attention being paid to it, uh, and we you know we've neglected it for too long that it's going to be such an uphill task now to to fight back and and support the um freshwater systems oh yeah it's, it's does that answer your question no it does yeah. i know that that could be an hour podcast on its own but <laughs> yeah I, I, I always like to get the experts opinion and 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 the consensus i think so far has been climate change and uh, it's just something we yeah. have to to address and attack yeah all right as we near the end of the interview, how can our listeners help you in your efforts and, and help Shoal? Uh, well, I think first and foremost, doing what you're doing really is spreading the word. So, you know, if everybody that listens to the podcast can then tell somebody else about fresh water and then also go you know, on a, a Google search and learn more about fresh water and some of the fishes that I've talked about on the, on, I think that's uh, the first the first thing to do really is to really just spread mm-hmm. spread that message. Uh, the second one is that to go out and and support and work and help with the, any local initiatives. You know, we talked about local action is uh, really key. But if everyone was doing that across, you know, everywhere, then you know, it'd be a massive make a massive difference. So, you know, search out those places where you can go and help. Uh, and I'm sure there's plenty of initiatives going on near nearby where everybody lives so i would that's that's would be the second thing uh and you know and, and also talk to some if you are an angler or you're you know a, a hobby uh, aquarium hobbyist you know talk to your the companies that you buy from get them engaged and say hey do you know that shoal exists and 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 you know there is a way there is a platform now available to people who want to actively support freshwater fish conservation or freshwater species conservation so we're there now that we're if anybody has ideas of what they want they, they think we should be doing or 
or uh, solutions or ways of, to engage. You know, we're really open to hearing from everybody's, and that, you know, it's one of the sort of fundamental parts of Shoal is that we, you know, we want we want people to be engaged with Shoal. Uh, uh, we're limited in our capacity, but mm-hmm. we're certainly, you know, to, from hearing from people will be fantastic. Uh, and, and you know, the, the ultimate way to help is go and get a job in conservation if you can, you know. So uh, go, go in the to work to try and find work in conservation or work or support conservation in the work that you're doing. That's even even more powerful. So I think that there's, uh, you know, if you're somehow connected to natural systems, particularly freshwater systems, making sure that, you know, you're uh, paying attention to that system and supporting that system uh, is really, really important. Um, yeah, and the last one is to donate. Donate to show, donate to yeah. other organizations that are working uh, on conservation, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, I, and I'm going to link your website it, the website is shoalconservation.org. That's S-H-O-A-L conservation.org. I will link that. Is there anywhere else where people can follow you, any social media or, or any of that? Yeah, we're on, we're on Twitter. It's S-H-O-A-L underscore org. Uh, and yeah, Twitter. Um and our, and our yeah our website those are two I would okay. say those two and so we're yeah we're looking to set up Instagram soon this year uh, oh uh, oh and we're also on LinkedIn as well so you can find Shell Conservation on LinkedIn right 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 one, yeah yeah you're on Facebook too so I'll, I'll put all these links okay. on yeah no no I know you it's not your forte it's not your job <laughs> I don't, yeah I'm not very good at Facebook <laughs> it's okay uh, I'm there with you I'm there yeah, with you thank you. Yeah. So Mike Baltzer, executive director of Shoal, thank you for staying up late there in the UK to, uh, to talk to me today. Uh, you are, again, we, we, we call you conservation heroes. You're out there, you're fighting for our wild spaces. Thank you so much. And, and thank you for what you do. Thank you very much for, for having me on your show.